the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello, happy new year, and welcome to the first episode of the J Talk podcast for 2024. Uh, ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And uh, Johnny, well, it does feel like it's come around very quickly, but uh, we're basically back for the uh, the start of the 2024 J League campaign. Of course, we've we've got the uh, the Asian Cup to take care of first. But uh, yeah, welcome back to a new year of the pod, mate. Happy New Year, Ben. Yes, as we're saying in the green room, I think we're still a bit bit rusty tonight. So hopefully we can get 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 through things. But yeah, it's good good to be back. It, it doesn't feel like that long since we've been away, but we've got a busy year ahead of us and, and lots to get to get into. So how are you doing tonight? Very well, thank you. But as you say, yes, they're shaking off some rust. Uh, you're just back in the country after spending uh, the festive season back in Scotland, and all the listeners will be dying to know how did uh, Air United get on at the game you were able to get to. Well, they were playing Dunfermline Athletic at home. They were two 0 down after nine minutes, but came back to draw two two. It's quite quite an entertaining game, and it yeah, it wasn't as cold as I thought it was going to be. Um, and I guess uh, anyone listening that's that's from the UK or or has been to the UK won't be surprised to know that in the, the ten days I was back home, it rained every single day at some point. So the, the good old British weather was there not to disappoint, but. Yeah, I, I enjoyed enjoyed the football. wasn't wasn't quite Japanese football, but it was it was good to be back at a different atmosphere, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, great to hear. And uh, just before we welcome in our guest, um, who has certainly had a very busy uh, off-season to this point, we just wanted to send our uh, condolences to the victims of the the two shocking incidents that happened at the start of the year uh, in Japan. Of course, the earthquake uh, in centred on the Noto Peninsula in Ishikawa on New Year's Day, and then the the terrible tragedy at Haneda Airport on the 2nd of January. And um, we will be putting some, some links in the uh, the episode description if you'd like to donate to the recovery efforts for the uh, the earthquake victims in Ishikawa and uh, surrounding prefectures um yeah we'll uh, we'll put those links in the show notes and um with that said uh, we'd like to welcome in our guest obviously our first guest for the new year so it's a big welcome uh, for the first time in 2024 to Dan Olowitz from the Japan Times so Dan happy new year and welcome back to the pod how are you uh, I'm good, and Happy New Year to both of you and, and uh, to all your listeners. Uh, indeed, th- this wasn't much of an off-season. Uh, football never ends in Japan, but it, it is going to be experiencing a new schedule in a couple of years, which I'm pretty sure we're going to get to soon. Most definitely, and we'll we'll be chatting about the the switch to an autumn-spring uh, schedule that um, it was announced by the J-League on the 19th of December, and um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll chat about that after we uh, discuss the Asian Cup, which begins on uh, the 12th of January, and uh, Japan's campaign gets going on the 14th when they play Vietnam. Um, of course, uh, we now know the the makeup of the squad. Uh, Dan, you were at the National Stadium on New Year's Day to watch Japan beat Thailand at 5-0 in a friendly before the, the squad was announced uh, later on in the evening by Hajime Moriyasu. Um, so just very, very briefly on that game, um, I bet you wish you could have the first 45 minutes of it back uh, as it uh, uh, reached uh, halftime at 0-0. But from there, uh, Japan, I guess, um, yeah, their, their class and uh, it finally told against the uh, the, the Thailand side and yeah, five nil was the, uh, the the final score and obviously a deserved victory for Japan. Yeah, the first half obviously Japan 
dominated in the sense that, yes, they had full control of the game uh, from start to finish, uh, no question there. Uh, but this wasn't Japan's true, this wasn't the A team, uh, because the, this New Year's Day friendly uh, fell outside of a FIFA match period. Moriasu didn't have the full complement uh, of Europe-based players, since uh, it wasn't required for for the teams to to allow their their players to leave early, for example. So this was very much a sort of a B B plus team. You had a few European pl- uh, Europe-based players uh, who were able to make the trip a little earlier, uh, and you also had a lot of J League players, uh, some of whom were, were getting their first uh, caps, uh, I believe. And, and so it was an experimental uh, lineup in a lot of ways. I I think that it was good for the J-leaguers to get some experience. It was good for uh, the Europe-based players to shake off their national team rust, so to speak, and uh, start to get their their rhythms in sync and all that. And and it was a 5-0 win. You can't really complain about that, especially against an opponent uh, who can uh, cause the kind of frustrations that, that Thailand did cause. And I think that it's an experience that will uh, aid the team as they prepare to face uh, two Southeast Asian opponents in the group stage. Indeed. Very well said, Dan. So, uh, yes, it was uh, three debutants in the starting 11, Ryotaro Ito, Kanji Okunuki and Haruya Fuji, while uh, Takumu Kawamura and uh, Sota Miura, um, who won't be a very familiar name to our regular listeners of this podcast uh, as he plays in J2 for Kofu, but he came on for the uh, the last 22 minutes and uh, now has a Japan cap uh, in his um, in his cabinet. So well done to uh, to Sota. Um, uh, Kawamura marked his uh, Japan debut with a goal. He scored the fourth of Japan's five, and even uh, Takumi Minamino got a goal uh, on this uh, afternoon. So that was uh, that was the, the the fifth and final goal of the game. And then, as we said later on, um, Hajime Moriyasu named his Squad Johnny, and I don't know whether you choked on your uh, fried Mars bar or not when you woke <laughs> up and, and saw the squad that uh, Mr. Moriyasu had announced. But, um, yeah, there were a couple of uh, big surprises in there. Um, well, uh, I, I think from the, the, the Thailand game, we saw that uh, Tanaka and Kaishu Sano started together in central midfield. And, well, to no one's surprise, one of them was included in the squad. But uh, to everyone's surprise, it was Sano and not... Al Tanaka, who has uh, well pretty much been ever present whenever fit um, in, in the last couple of years for Japan, but um, yes, he is not included in the squad, and, and neither was uh, Daichi Kamada and uh, Kyogo Furuhashi didn't make it either. So there were they were I think the three uh, big surprise outs uh, for me, um, and I imagine for you as well. Yeah, I know we went over the kind of predicted squads last year and we, we actually we blundered slightly because there's 26 names allowed in the squad. Now it seems to be like the, the, going, up, going for all these national competitions, there's more teams and more players allowed for, for each one. So, you know, a, a team like Japan, 26 names, it just shows the quality that even with 26 players in the squad, you've still got the, the big three at Tanaka, Kamada, Furuhashi are, are out. And even people like Yuki Soma, Hayao Kawabe, I think Atsuki Ito is injured and Keisuke Osaka is injured as well. That, that the quality and strength and depth Japan have in, in certain areas is, is really frightening. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like Dan said, that was a really good way of putting it. I think that it was like a B slash B plus team playing against Thailand. And you kind of wonder, like, 
was anything really learned for the, for the Asian Cup. It might be kind of further down the line because I think if I counted correctly, five of the, the starting 11 against Thailand and two of the subs used didn't make the squad, which which again goes to show the kind of depth and also maybe the kind of the, the gap between the, the, the haves and the have-nots at the moment in, in Asia. But, you know, looking at the squad, it's, it's a really good squad. I, I guess my, my kind of areas of concern, Mitoma was named and there was obviously this kind of he said, she said, with, with Brighton saying he was injured and Japan's doctor saying, no, he isn't injured and he's, he's there. And also uh, Tomiyasu was meant to miss out and then he came back quickly and made a, a sub-appearance for Arsenal and he's there and Itakura as well. So um, th- those three are obviously big, big players for Japan, but it, it's very interesting to see how they navigate. They've got the, the group stage, Vietnam, Iraq and, and Indonesia. Do, do they go with, for example, a, a Taniguchi-Machida partnership and then ease Tomiyasu and Itakura in? With maybe like Nakamura and I'm sure um, Moriyasu managed to get Asano a slot in the left wing if they they can take over from Mitoma. How do they ease these kind of big star names in after maybe missing some of the, the group stage games? But yeah, it's a, it's a big strong squad. I, I was actually on my, my way back from Japan. I picked up a copy of uh, of World Soccer magazine and W H Smith and I was reading that and they had the the Asian Cup preview and obviously we are, we're biased towards Japan and we sometimes have to pick our words we're not too biased but they were they were singing the praises of Japan they said it very directly this is the best team in Asia this is the biggest team they have to go out and make a statement there might be some questions with the manager but this is this is the favourites to, to win the tournament and it's a it's a very very strong squad what about yourself Dan what did you make of it any any extra thoughts on the, the kind of leaving it of Tanaka or, or Kamada or, or anything else you, you could add? I mean, I, I think I, I want to touch on, I think the, especially for among my Twitter following, uh, the biggest shock seemed to be Kyogo being left out uh, two days after he scored a, an incredible goal uh, against Rangers. Uh, and you know, him being left out while uh, Daisen Maida and Dale Hatate, who have both sort of had injury issues this season, uh, were in. And yeah, a lot of people are wondering, well, what what the deal? What's the deal? Uh, given that Kyogo had just scored this wonder goal, but I, I think that uh, as always, a lot of uh, people who don't get to see this national team uh, perform regularly, you know, they're not seeing that it is about consistency. And, and Kyogo, for better or for worse, just hasn't been consistent uh, wearing the blue shirt. Uh, and and that's why it gets left off. But as as you said, Johnny, I think it does speak to the depth uh, of Japan's player pool. That you know, if if the squad was 28 names, maybe you're seeing Kyogo in there, or maybe not. Uh, I there are aren't really any players on this list who you can look at and and say they don't deserve to be on. Mm-hmm. I think you can. You, you can say that like maybe there are some players, you know, Al Tanaka is a good example of some players who whose absence is surprising. But for the most part, I, th- I think everyone's really earned their spot. I think uh, Taishi Brandon Ozawa coming on as the third goalkeeper. That was a little surprising to me, uh, although granted, maybe I'm just not up on what the current goalkeeper depth chart is. Obviously, you mentioned that the Keisuke Osako is injured, and I think that if he wasn't injured, uh, he would be on, be on that list. But yeah, it, it, it is kind of... I mean, I was comparing this lineup to Hajime Moriyasu's first uh, Asian Cup lineup uh, in 2019, and what stood out to me was the lack... Uh, 
it's hard to call it the lack of experience, but that squad in in 2019 at least had a couple players uh, who had more than 100 caps or close to it. And you really did get a sense like that at least there was some experience. Um, there was leadership there. And so my biggest question looking at this squad heading in is like, who's going to be the leader? I think, is it going to be Wataru Endo, uh, who has the most caps at 52? You know, are, are, is is Minamino the locker room leader? Um, I, I'm not sure I quite see that. Um, is Takama Asano the leader? Like, you know, so, someone has to step up. And in the last tournament, it was obviously Yuto Nakatomo uh, and Maya Yoshida. Who are providing that experience? So I'm I'm really curious to see uh, who that voice is going to be at this tournament because I think that that's going to inform uh, this squad over the next World Cup cycle uh, and show us who the leader is going to be. Yeah, and actually, Dan, so were you under the impression it was going to be 23 uh, in the squad, or was it always 26 as far as you knew? Because um, uh, 20- I'd seen I'd seen things that uh, uh, you know Japanese journalists had done 23-man squads in the build-up, so I just assumed it was going to be 23. So I was a bit taken by surprise. I admittedly don't have don't know this um, completely off the top of my head, but I, I do recall. Uh, on the day, reading something about 26 being a relatively recent decision. I don't think it was in yeah. December or anything, but I think it was decided maybe around October. Right. Okay. Um, well, yeah. So it, yeah. I, th- I think it was sort of to be determined, and then they eventually decide. I think 26 is becoming the new normal uh, when it comes to continental competitions. I think that's just what it's what's happening. I guess so, yeah, with the five subs as well. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I, I was kind of asking and wanting to clarify, because mainly because of, of Tanaka, because there's been some suggestions that um, he wasn't included by Moriyasu because he um, is potentially moving from Fortuna Dusseldorf in, in January and wanted to be available to um to 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 make sure that uh, a move if it does eventuate to a Bundesliga club or a first division club in a different country that he wanted to be um around to 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 make that happen and i guess hit the ground running with a new club if uh, if that does eventuate and then um and and i know that Moriyasu was asked directly about Tanaka uh, Kamada and Furuhashi um in his in his press conference and he and gave us absolutely yeah, nothing danced danced around the the question um and I think you tweeted he apologized at the end of the press conference, right, for the the lack of depth in his answers. And I mean, yeah, that was like... I, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, like that's you know, Moriyasu is gonna Moriyasu. Um, he has never been dragged into conversations about players who aren't selected. He doesn't like to talk about specific. He'll talk about players who are selected. He does not like to talk about players who aren't selected. Uh, and and he has been pulled into those conversations very occasionally. I think uh, him not picking Kyogo for the World Cup, I, I believe he might have had to, he, I think he had to give an answer uh, about that. But he's normally he's much more tight lipped. And I, th- I think that that's that's fair. Um, he doesn't want to put a player who wasn't selected on blast. And I think that especially when it comes to the transfer market, uh, and that sort of thing, like you don't want to to show a player's hand. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, if, if it's 26 um, and Tanaka, you know, wants to be available to, to fly away um, and seal a uh, seal a transfer, I mean, we, we know that Moriyasu is probably going to rotate through these three group stage games. So I, I would I would have thought that, um, you know, he might have given him one of those games off to, to fly um, from Qatar to Germany and back um, and, you know, maybe miss one of the group stage games. But uh, because, you know, that's how important I thought he, he was to uh, to Moriyasu and, and the way he um, uh, the way he operates. But, uh, you know, seemingly not. And Kaishu Sano's rise has been a, a, a meteoric one. And he finds himself um, probably as the third uh, in line in, in in central midfield in the in the pecking order. And yeah, Johnny, I mean, that's uh, that's obviously a huge um uh, and, and meteoric rise for, for Sano, and that'll put a lot of pressure on him uh, if and when his chance comes uh, in the group stage. As you said, we're we're not sure how Moriyasu will manoeuvre his uh, his 26 man squad through the the uh, the three group stage games uh, and hopefully uh, in into the knockout stage. But um, yeah, for, for Sano and um, obviously Hatate, who's come out of nowhere, uh, it's obviously a, a huge opportunity for the pair of them. Yeah, I think it, just kind of coming back to that the 26-man squad, I was kind of thinking about this today, and it, it really does seem to favour a team like Japan that can comfortably fill a 26-man squad with, with quality players. You think with the Asian Cup, a lot of these teams, especially I think Vietnam are pretty injury-ravaged, that they're surely going to struggle to, I mean, they probably struggle to get 23 players that can, can do a job, and to 26 not really helping them. I think it's really aimed at countries like Japan, isn't it, that, are aiming to play like the full seven games and also have a big squad that they, they can rotate. And yeah, I think we saw like at the World Cup, I think there probably will be, be rotation. Interesting to see that they might wait to the, the final game against Indonesia because it, it seems like from what I've seen, Iraq will be the, the nearest challengers to Japan. Then I mean, an injury ravaged Vietnam might be kind of similar level to Indonesia. We need to, to wait and see. But I would imagine that the strongest lineup would probably play the first two games and then hope to have qualification sealed after that and then, then maybe have a kind of B team against Indonesia. But obviously, Moriasu is a, a big fan of Sanu. He gave him the full 90 minutes against Thailand. And as we said last year, he, he played really well on his, his debut and he's, he's a rising star. I know there's rumours that because um, Kashima appointed Ranko Popovich, who was uh, Sanu's coach at Machida, and there's been, been slight concerns maybe that the relationship between those two aren't that good so I wonder if this might be a short window for, for Sano to, to seal a move to, to Europe for, for next season it remains to be seen but yeah kind of coming back to that you're talking about um like what, what Moriasu will say about certain players it was very interesting because Ben you mentioned uh Miura of, of Kofu he he was picked for for this squad he subsequently joined Kawasaki which made me think because remember there was a kind of a few rows maybe a bit too strong but but last year um Moriasu said he wasn't picking J2 players, which ruled uh, Gonda out. And then when, when Miura went in, it's like, well, what's, what's going on here? And then subsequently he's gone to gone to Kawasaki. So you wonder how, how much did Moriasu know about that transfer in, in advance? But yeah, I, I'm sure all these guys are going to get a game at some point. And yeah, as, as Dan said, there's, there's no one there's no one there that, that shouldn't be in the squad and Hatati I think has, has come off an injury but I'm sure he'll he won't let anyone down if he's given his chance and yeah it's really a chance for for Japan they should be looking at this group Iraq are going to be tough I think but they need to be looking at, at taking nine points and putting a real statement down going into the, the knockout stages I I have a couple um I mean, really, a, well, greater point to make about sort of who who he's picking for the for these squads and and that's uh, that we are going to have a lot of games 
uh, coming up, uh, not just at the Asian Cup. If, if Japan goes all the way, then I'll be be seven games. Uh, but uh, this year, uh, we're talking eight or ten World Cup qualifiers. Uh, no, no friendly is this this year. Uh, it's all qualifiers and they all count. But you know, considering the situation uh, with the expanded um, World Cup in 2026, you know, it, it's let, let's face it. You know, I know we don't like to get too ahead of ourselves, but there, there's no way Japan isn't qualifying uh, for this World Cup. It's it, yeah. it, it, yeah. it is it's laughably easy, and so that does in some ways give Moriyasu the freedom to experiment a little and to bring in uh, players who can give him different looks and, and you know and, and show show different qualities um, I, I think that especially uh, you you look at some of these games that are coming up in uh, March and June uh, Myanmar North Korea Syria um, uh, you know, you're going to see a couple of of the um, under 23 players possibly at call ups uh, to help them uh, build up confidence and experience ahead of the Olympics, uh, assuming Japan qualify, of course. Uh, and I, I think Al Tanaka, you know, he's putting aside the um, the question of will he or won't he transfer aside. Uh, he's a known quantity. He's a known quality. I, I think the Moriasu is very very much aware of what he brings to this team and and his his abilities and what he brings uh to the pitch so you know i i don't think i don't read into it as much i don't think that uh, tanaka has much to worry about and i think that we're gonna get a chance to see all of our favorites uh in in the rest of the year because you know that's a lot of qualifiers and all of those games count so i i think that we're you know Anyone who isn't who's worried about not seeing a specific player, just you know, wait a few months and they'll come. Well, I mean, I take your point, Dan. But if you're Altanaka, do you want to play a, a World Cup qualifier against Myanmar in in June, or do you want to play in an Asian Cup and potentially win a medal? Because now he, you know, he he, if Japan go all the way, he he misses out on a medal. And I don't know if the the rumor about all this transfer stuff is true or not. Um, and if he's asked out of a, a major tournament, that would be stunning. But also the fact that if Moriyasu's overlooked him, then that's even more stunning to me, considering how important he's been to Japan over the last couple of years. So um, yeah, I, I, I take I take your point. I think that I mean he player... scored the the Matoma millimeter goal, Dan, in, in the, the, the in the World you're, Cup. You're, I mean... you're, you're, ab- you're absolutely right, and um, obviously I think these you know we're only sort of seeing this half of what's going on with Tanaka and what we're not seeing is, you know, whatever conversations are happening with his agents and his management and all the people who are advising him, who I'm, I'm sure include uh, Moriyasu and, and the, the national team staff. Like it may be that he is not getting the best advice, um, but it, he also uh, may, may, be of the impression that uh, if he wants to be a part of this Japan squad going into this World Cup cycle and and to, to have a better chance of being able to play uh, at that World Cup in in a couple of years, uh, he he wants to be in a stronger league than the the two Bundesliga. So you know I, I think we're all on the same page that you know he's he's a talented player who should be in a Japan squad on average day. 
But, uh, you know, I, I guess we're going to have to see if either this will be a great decision for him or it'll be a horrible decision for him. Uh, you know, there's no, which I know is sort of fence sitting, but it, it, it's, you know, it's going to go one of two ways. And I guess we all, all we can really do is wait to see which way it is. I think that's a really good point about like the, the kind of advice Tanaka has been getting because I'll be honest and I think with Ben and Sam on, on the pod when we were doing like team of the season and team of the half season we're all massive fans of Tanaka so to to see him go to the, the second Bundesliga in Germany was a, a bit of a surprise and but by all accounts although his Japanese form has been been very good his club form has been a bit shaky a bit up and down so I really wonder like what I mean I don't watch the second Bundesliga but it, it, from the outside it looks like it was a bit of a strange move not slash not very good move to, to start with his first move to Europe and yeah maybe he feels like I've I've got myself into a bit of a hole here I have to dig myself out uh, again as you said rightly Dan we, we don't know that the kind of discussion has gone on but behind the scenes I, I can't imagine that Tanaka is like fully satisfied he was on an upward trajectory with with Kawasaki and then he, he must have had options in Europe and I feel like he's gone through the wrong door so I think at this stage it probably is quite an important stage for, for his career both uh, club and international it'd be very interesting to see what, where he goes from here in, in both respects yeah absolutely and I mean um, it might be that Moriyasu thinks that yeah he's not doing uh, as well as he could be in uh, in his club team in in Germany, and that um, yeah, that means that he won't be able to produce uh, on the national team stage. Maybe all this transfer um, rumor gossip is just that, and maybe Moriyasu just doesn't fancy him for this tournament. And I mean, if you had said that Daichi Kamada wasn't going to make the Asian Cup squad, uh, you know, eight ten months ago, then you would have been laughed out of the room. But yeah, he's had a, a difficult time at Lazio as well, and he finds himself on the outer as well, not able to make this squad of twenty six. So um, yes, it is. A, uh, a, a an extremely talented squad, especially in uh, in midfield and um, and attacking areas for Japan, and uh, they go into the Asian Cup. Um, obviously full of confidence. Uh, the the competition, of course, is 24 teams had expanded that, to that size in 2019 uh, when uh, Japan lost in the final uh, to Qatar. Um, Japan are the four-time champions and uh, looking to uh, extend their record as the most successful team uh, in this competition. As we've mentioned, they kick off against Vietnam on Sunday, the 14th of January, then play the 2007 winners Iraq on Friday, the 19th, before wrapping up the group stage against Indonesia on Wednesday the 24th um if we don't if you don't mind us getting too far ahead of ourselves listeners um presuming that Japan make it through to the knockout stage uh, if they do so as group D winners that we uh, expect that they will and you know we're, we don't want to sound too big for our boots but um yeah we would expect Japan to to win the group then they will play a third place team from group B E or F in the the round of 16 if they happen to finish in second place in the group they'll play play the Group E winner, which is likely to be South Korea. So uh, Japan certainly want to avoid that. And uh, yes, we uh, we expect that they will be able to do so. And uh, yeah, things will really kick off in the round of 16. All right. So uh, the other business we wanted to discuss with Dan on this, our first episode of the year is the, uh, well, somewhat controversial decision by the J-League to move to an autumn-spring uh, schedule beginning in the 2025-26 season. I think that's right, isn't it, Dan? 
Uh, no, 2026-27. Okay, we've got an extra year then, Johnny. That's good. All right. <laughs> that was announced uh, by the J-League at a press uh, press conference uh, on the 19th of December, and a press conference that you participated in, Dan, uh, via Zoom, which was, uh, yeah, really cool to see you involved in it. Um, there's obviously um, traditionalists, and I include myself in that brigade, who are, I think, up in arms is a little bit strong, but um, uh, basically against this decision uh but i think you're of the impression that it was kind of inevitable once the uh, the afc shifted the uh, the champions league schedule and um yeah i think there are a number of things that the j league still has to iron out and get sorted before uh the the change uh, actually kicks in but um yeah for the most part it's a decision that has seemed inevitable yeah i i think that, that that's fair to say i mean it, it's once the league uh, started, they they announced that they were going to be making these deliberations over the course of, of 2023. And I remember asking uh, Nonomura, uh, just something along the lines like, isn't this sort like, is this inevitable? And at the time he said, well, no, because I, I think, and I, and I, I, I will say I believe him when he said that, and I believe him now, but I think that if you wanted to compare past decisions that have been taken by the league, uh, such as the shift to the uh, two-stage plus playoff uh, format uh, that we all uh, know, that, that we all loved uh, totally, um, in that lasted all of two years before the league gave up on it, um, that was a decision that was just sort of dropped on everyone uh, and, and the fans were were told just suck it up and accept it, and the players were told to suck it up and accept it. And you know, but that was made for entirely commercial decisions. Whereas uh, there's a lot that's gone into this decision. Uh, looking, they're looking at it from the sporting perspective in terms of how uh, the you know how climate change has is affecting uh, J League players. Uh, in terms of the the performances that that they're showing during the summer months and how that compares to uh, European leagues, uh, sprints, mm. uh, distance yeah. run. I mean, there, there's like they have the numbers, and if you like, if you look at uh, some of these charts, what you're seeing is that six, like five months into the season, uh, Europe players in Europe are actually playing you know they're running at a higher intent the intensity of their runs is going up by about 10 percent five months into the season meanwhile six months into the j-league season uh those players they're they're down 20 percent so when you whether you're starting your season in in february and you know starting when it's cold and then by by the time that your players are maybe a little tired and, and picking up knocks and that sort of thing it's july uh and july in japan it's effing hot <laughs> you know meanwhile uh yes you know, european players are playing in november december january february uh but but they're showing uh, improvements uh in their performance they're peaking uh during that time and by the time they hit uh, the finale of their season they're they're basically still playing at the level that they started the season so you have that uh, from from the sporting perspective and the fitness perspective, you have the business side of things, uh, which is you know the league wants to align itself uh, with 
the European transfer windows because uh, most of the money that's going in these transfer windows is going during the summer window. And what's happening is that all of the, I should say, many of Japan's best players are leaving during the summer uh, and their teams have to fill in those gaps in the middle of the season. Uh, so you know, that that's one of the many things that they sort of want to fix. And then, of course, uh, there's the logistical issues, uh, the ACL switching to autumn spring, uh, the Club World Cup expanding to 32 teams every four years, plus this new Continental Cup BS, whatever FIFA is calling it. Uh, the international uh, match calendar is changing like you, you know. We're starting talk about this 2024 season at the beginning of January. Um, like, let, let's face it, there, there, there is too much. Fo- there is a, such a thing as too much football. I know that it, that's maybe a controversial take, uh, but but there's a lot going on. And I think that you have to fit a season into all of that. And, and so given all of these factors, the, the, the J-League did a lot of deliberations, talked to hundreds of officials, uh, consulted with every club in the three divisions, and and this was the conclusion that they reached. And uh, I think if you compare how they handled the um, the two stage issue with the very open and transparent deliberation process that they showed uh, throughout 2023, and, and there were regular press briefings about this. Um, they provided all of their material from every step of the way, uh, this, this gigantic PowerPoint presentation that just every month you know, got a new update. I think that the league approached this in good faith. And I think that they've made what they think is, is the best decision uh, for the league in you know, over the next 10 years and, and going into the, the, the 20 years after that, by which point the J-League will be 60. Was there any mention, Dan, about... The, the effect that the COVID like pandemic had on the league and there's potentially been a reaction to that because obviously all the clubs would have, would have lost money and, and lost supporters in, in that time. Is, is, there, is that had anything to do with it and like forcing it this early? I don't think that, that COVID itself, well, I don't think that COVID was necessarily as much of a direct factor, but I do think this is again more in my opinion because the, that angle didn't really get discussed. But I do think that that the pandemic did force the league and the clubs to have a, a good, hard, long look in the mirror uh, about how they're conducting business, um, their marketing, the commercialization, uh, you know, how they're running themselves as organizations. And yeah, I, I think that the league wants to improve that all around among the goals that they're setting uh we're not just talking about uh achievement-based goals in terms of wanting uh i I believe they want to have two clubs in the uh club world cup for every four-year cycle they want uh i think 20 or about 20 or 30 percent of the national team to be j league players they don't just want the league to develop players who go on to be national team players. They want the league to be at a, at such a high level that you can pick players from the J league and, and not have there be a gap with the players who are in Europe. Uh, they want the, all the clubs to raise their uh, revenues uh, by 50 to a hundred percent. 
you know, these, these are the goals that they want to achieve in the next 10 years. And, and they clearly think that switching to fall spring uh, is, is going to create an environment that will move, that will help progress those goals. Was there anything else said about, like, I know this is something that comes up all the time on, on social media about, about Japanese clubs like losing players on, on season-long loans or, or very like weak or low transfer fees. I, I know I saw something, I think the other day, it was um, Ryo Nakagawara was posting about the kind of dealings between Urawa and I think it's Vesterlo in, in Belgium over Yusuke Matsuo. And, and Gamba had a similar situation with, with Riku Handa with, with Hearts, where you think of, as a European person based in Japan, you kind of think like, you know, Urawa are a massive club in Asia, whereas Vestalo, I, I don't really know who they are. And obviously Hearts are a, a big club in Scotland, but for me, Gamba is a bigger club than Hearts. And you get these clubs trying to get like Japanese players on, on loan that they can't really afford to buy full time. Is there anything that the league talked about, anything like um, how the clubs are going to go about actually getting fair value for the, for the players in the transfer market? Is this meant to help that in any way? Well, so according to the league... A lot of basically the the amount of, the amount that's spent in the summer transfer market is something like six times that spent in the winter market. So the winter market is uh, this is like there's a lot of zeros here. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm counting this on the fly, but it's basically uh, 220 billion yen uh, in the winter market and. I think that's 1.3 trillion yen in the summer market. I, I hope that that's the kanji for trillion. Otherwise, I've made a grievous uh, mistake. <laughs> but um, you know, and and what the, what they're showing is that the players who are leaving in the summer transfer window uh, more often than not are players who are getting in anywhere from 80 to 100 percent, or at least around 70 to 100 percent. Uh, of of possible minutes in the J League. So when they're looking at who's leaving during the summer window, it's clearly a lot of core players. Um, what they're seeing is that J Leaguers are going to Europe to mid-tier clubs for about uh, 100 million yen. And then when they're getting sold on to clubs in top leagues, that's usually for about 20 or you know, about 20 times that much, so about 2 billion yen. So they see that and, and they want to set themselves up uh, to be in a position like Brazil, for example, where you know Brazilian clubs who sell players to Europe are getting a lot more money than the J-League is. And, and so I, I think the league and the clubs understand that that should be the goal. Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach that, and and part of that is going to be changing how the club does business, how I should say how the clubs plural do business. Um, as as to how much can the J League um, regulate contracts, I don't know. To be honest, uh, I think that's a question for the league. You know, the, the league is that saying you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. The league can beg clubs to sell players for more money, but the clubs are the ones who have the contracts and they're doing it. This isn't um, a single, you know, entity like Major League Soccer, mm -hmm. uh, for example. So they're going to have to figure this out. But uh, but this this is something that the league has talked about trying to improve for a, a long time. Um, I talked to uh, then League Vice President Hiro Mihara about this um, 
two or three is probably three or four years back. And this this is something that 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 they're aware of. You know, they're not idiots, but I, I think that that changing how clubs do business, you know, that's got to ha- that's going to have to be the focus going forward because I think that clubs are well aware that you can't just coast you know on the graces of your parent company you know Urawa for example Urawa with with uh Mitsubishi for example uh Nagoya Grampus and Toyota you know the these are big mega corporations who can afford to to fund a football club but if you're go if you're trying to to reach the business scales of some of Europe's mid-tier or even sort of lower upper-tier clubs, uh, you have to be able to do more. I think that the the top five clubs in the J-League uh, generate 6.8 billion yen in revenue, give or take, an- annually. Uh, the clubs ranked 21st through 40th in Europe, overseas, uh, generate, I think, 23 billion so that's about four times um, three at least three times uh, as much and and so you've got uh, the broadcast fees are different the sponsorship numbers are different like there's a lot going on Uh, and i don't want to like get too deep into the leads or oversimplify things i think that the the league is well aware that it's not going to become you know it's not going to grow to be as big as the premier league but I think the, the league recognizes that there's still a ton of room to go, grow in terms of the commercial and marketing aspects uh, and, and that there's a lot more that can be done. And I think there's a lot more that will be done. Yeah, fair enough then. I mean, yeah, there are a number of things that, you know, I found um, slightly contradictory in the uh, the announcement. But, um, yeah, I don't really want to get into old man shakes his fist at cloud uh, territory on our first episode of the year, Dan. So, um, yeah, well, I appreciate um, all of your um, yeah input and, and clarity there on uh, on what is going to happen eventually. But, but well, basically what we've got, uh, we know that we've got a, a, a 2024 and a 2025 season that will run on the uh, the in inverted commas normal calendar as we're there as we're used to, and um, that uh, well basically once 2026 starts, something will happen, uh, but we don't know what until the the 2026-27 season starts in August. So the the league will obviously have a number of months to fill there or um they're just going to be dead air and so they won't want that to happen and that's obviously no as you said like it's not going to be dead air i think that yeah yeah, exactly they're they're planning for a half season uh tournament and or competition uh we don't know what's what that's going to look like i would assume uh that we will have an answer to that by the end of this season uh because uh, ahead of the 2025 season, they're going to have to announce the the regulations as far as promotion and relegation are concerned. So the question is, well, what what competition will the teams in the 2025 J League uh, be? be promoted and or relegated into? So yeah. I, I'm pretty sure this is me sort of playing with a lot of hypotheticals, but I'm pretty sure that that by the end of this season, uh, we'll know what's up. And, you know, it's going to be an adjustment. Not, as you say, there's a lot of you know pros and cons. I think one thing that we haven't discussed is how clubs in the north, how clubs in, in regions that get a lot of snow uh, oh, yeah. are going to deal with this. Because it, it, this is going to be tough. And, and the league has pledged uh, a lot of money uh, to to support these clubs and to help them build facilities that, that will help them 
uh, be able to, you know, to, to play in the winter. Um, that you know, that's going to be a lot to deal with. But you know, I, I'll say, and you know, we've discussed this. You guys know that I've never shirked away from from criticizing the J League when I think it's done something stupid. Uh, but yeah, I think people will disagree with it. But I, I do think I do truly think that uh, the league has approached these deliberations and this decision in in good faith. And so uh, I think that fans should try to keep you know keep an open mind as they go th- you know work out the details because I, I do think that especially compared to how again how the 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 two stage thing uh, was dropped on us I think this is a totally different J League uh, in terms of who's in charge uh, on the commercial side on the the football competitive side uh, in the chairman's seat. Uh, it's a much different league than than we all saw a decade ago, uh, and and I think that they're very much prepared to to find the solution uh, that will hopefully help this uh, work out. Well, yeah, and with that uh, last uh, comment of yours in mind, Dan, yeah, that was your question in the in the press conference, wasn't it, to the chairman, Mr. Nonamura, about the the winter break and whether um, the league might be tempted to go back uh, down the the two stage route uh, in the future, and uh, yeah, Mr. Nonamura. Um, Pretty much categorically shut that uh, shot that idea down, but um, well, yeah, uh, we again we'll take him for his word on it. Um, I, I think, yeah, you, you're right to to bring up the the situation for some of the northern clubs, and that's that's one of the the major issue uh, issues that I have, and I know a, a number of members of our Patreon uh, line group do as well, because um, you know the the, the some of the clubs in the northern areas in the uh, the lower leagues in J2 and J3 are, are going to be um, really put out by the, the concept of a winter break interrupting a season. Of course, uh, we, we're we now in a winter break at the end of one season before another one begins. So, I mean, that's a, a, a natural break in proceedings where a, a team like Matsumoto will... Um, you know, they won't be home for, for basically three months uh, of a, a season that is ongoing. And, and when it, the league says they want to, you know, uh, have clubs increase revenues and increase um, uh, this, that and the other by a certain percentage. And, and, you know, fans who support Matsumoto won't be able to see their team at home for for basically three months of the uh, of a, a season that is ongoing is um, really head scratching to me. But again, uh, yeah, there, there are a number of issues that they still have to iron out. And um, yeah, making things right, I think, for the teams up in the north is is one of them. Um, Johnny, any sort of final thoughts before we let Dan go? I think we've uh, we've reached a natural conclusion in our discussion uh, on both the Asian Cup and the, the the switch to autumn spring. So anything else you wanted to, to put before Dan before we let him go? Well, I was just going to ask you, Dan, because you've got a new you've got a new Substack uh, newsletter. So, so please, the, the floor is yours. Please go ahead and, and promote it for us. Oh gosh, yes, gladly. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I've started uh, a, a new Substack, calling it the Hachi for now. Um, you can go read the first uh, dispatch to to learn about the whys and wherefores. Um, I'm going to be trying sort of a lot of different stuff this year. I think it's going to be a, a big year for me personally and professionally in terms of uh, the kind of content I'm creating. Um, I'm mainly looking to highlight uh, Japanese sports as a whole. Uh, I think as, as people know, obviously, I'm, I'm a big advocate for Japanese football, but I also think that that 
any every sport that's happening in Japan. Uh, there's a lot of just fascinating things going on in, in the the competitive side, on the cultural side, on on the sociological side, and on the business side. And I, I am going to try to highlight some of those each week and and sort of take uh, what I would describe as well my, my particular brand of Twitter bullshit and and try to to turn it into something a bit more uh cohesive i guess um so check it out uh dan or lewitz uh, no spaces uh dot substack dot com uh it's free uh it's going to be free for the, the future uh i don't know if it's going to be if i'm going to eventually introduce subscriptions or tiers or that sort of thing uh but for now i'm just looking for a place that i can deliver something a little bit different so yeah all right, tremendous stuff then. So we'll uh, we'll leave it there for our first episode of the year. Dan, thanks again ever so much. Um, we will definitely be calling in on you again uh, numerous times throughout the year. No, don't worry about that. And maybe even while the Asian Cup's still uh, up and running. So for now, thanks again. And we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Absolutely. Um uh, amazing. Uh, this is this isn't this is what year 12, year 13 of of J Talk. How long have we been doing this? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, we we started the year Tokyo came back up to J1, so that was uh, 2012, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, 12, exactly. 12 years. 12 years. This 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 podcast is hitting puberty. That's amazing. <laughs> um we're almost maybe, at episode 500 as well, yeah. Almost at episode 500. Gosh, I mean, I'm and I I prom- I'm, I still remember that promise I made you uh, a year or two ago on the Patreon, we got to do J Talk After Dark. Maybe this is the <laughs> yeah. year. Indeed, indeed. Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, yeah, we'll have our people call your people. Thanks again, mate. Absolutely. All right. And Johnny, uh, yes, we're back and we're banging, um, even though, yeah, as we said at the start, we're still shaking off some rust. But, um, yeah, great to catch up with Dan on our first episode of the year. And, uh, well, yeah, we'll be back after uh, Japan plays Vietnam, I suppose. Not necessarily the night of, but um, it'll either be on the Sunday or the Monday. We'll have to work that out between ourselves. But, um, yeah, we're back and uh, looking forward for the Asian Cup to get going. Yeah, we, we made it. I think we've got, got to about an hour. I'm, I'm cramping up and you have been, been substituted <laughs> off in the pre-season game. But yeah, we, we've got, got through it, sh- shaking some of the rust off. So yeah, and they've got good Japan and Vietnam next week. So ho- hopefully hopefully a good result for Japan. And yeah, we, we've got something positive to talk about. And, and like you said, it was, it was great to have Dan on. I, I know he, he's like leagues ahead of me in terms of that, that kind of content about what the league's doing, what the league are saying. And I think I know for myself, I feel a lot clearer about what's actually what's going to be happening in the next couple of years. That that was great to hear that, and hopefully the, the listeners enjoy that as well. So yeah, it was good to talk to to both you guys, and I'll see you again next week. All right, terrific stuff. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank Dan again. We'd like to thank all of our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. Once again, the links to donate to the earthquake relief, relief efforts will be in the uh, the show notes. So uh, if you can, please donate to that. And uh, we'll be back to uh, to chat about Japan game against Vietnam on our next episode. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.